Welcome to the Soul Sessions Podcast. Deep dive into the causes and real issues underlying addiction, codependency, emotional eating, weight concerns, and the trance of unworthiness. Tune in weekly to befriend, nourish, and heal body, feelings, mind, and soul. And now, your host, soul-centered psychotherapist, trauma expert, and mind-body eating coach, Jody Gale. Welcome to the Soul Sessions with Jody Gale podcast. I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which my office is based and across which we virtually meet, and pay my respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening to this podcast. Today, my guest is Amanda Atchison, and we are going to be talking about veganism and mental health, the cost of caring. Amanda brings a distinctive blend of skills and knowledge to the team at 12 Point Psychology. She has extensive experience as a primary and secondary teacher working across a variety of educational settings, particularly with disengaged youth. This knowledge underpins her counselling work and provides her clients and their families with a broader scope for support. Amanda works with older children and adolescents who are experiencing challenges with a wide variety of issues, including anxiety, depression, bullying, social skills, low self-esteem, self-harm, grief and loss, emotional dysregulation, truancy and learning difficulties. Amanda's strengths lie within her ability to connect with young people through respectful conversation in which they feel heard without judgment and create a safe space for change to occur. She particularly loves to work with those who may have struggled to connect with other professionals and seeks to empower clients as experts in their own life stories. Welcome, Amanda. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, look, thank you for coming on the show. I'm really looking forward to our conversation around veganism, mental health and the cost of caring. As a 30-year veggie, it's a topic (laughs) I'm super passionate about. Great. And I just want to start by having a little bit of a health disclaimer. So because we have people suffering with disordered eating listening, I would like to read the disclaimer from your website. So it says, at 12 Point Psychology, I'm not here to promote and convert people to veganism. However, I am here to offer a safe space for those who are thinking about it and who are finding it hard living as a vegan in a non-vegan world. And I would also like to make it very clear that although I have eaten veggie for 30 years and nine of those vegan, I'm not advocating for our listeners to take up a veggie or vegan way of life. However, if you have been considering it, please seek the support of a health at every size, non-diet and veggie or vegan friendly dietitian. And if you are suffering with an eating disorder, make this transition in relationship with your therapist. Okay, so we'll start from there. Lovely. (laughs) So would you just share with our audience a little bit about yourself and how you came to work in this field and having an interest with people who are vegan or thinking about becoming vegan? Sure. Well, firstly, I too would like to acknowledge I'm down in Melbourne, so I would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional custodians of the land on which my workplace stands. So talking about actually where I'm coming from Mm -hmm. is I began as a teacher, so primary, secondary teacher. I've always worked in helping roles. I've worked with children in some capacity since I was about 15 years of age. It's always where I've gravitated. Equally the same with animals. So I've done a lot of volunteer work in that area. And as I was working as a teacher, sort of 15 years of teaching, I did notice um, that when I became vegan, I suddenly had lots of students coming and wanting to talk to me about it. And I quickly realised that 
I actually think I'm meant to be in welfare rather than academics. So that is my move across. I actually ended up, I'm I'm an art and design teacher by by background, which is a natural space for children and teenagers to have a, a more distinct relationship with their teachers and it became very clear that was where my passion uh, actually lies and a lot of the vegan areas that I work with is because I did see a real need for that Mm. working in teaching with a lot of disenfranchised children that had nowhere to talk about such a topic. I've been vegan myself for about six years now, vegetarian before that, so very similar to you by the sounds of it. And I do consider myself an ethical vegan. So in that sense, um, the reason I became vegan more was a lifelong it was a lifelong wish and I just had a lot of troubles on the way in terms of support from others. So from five years old, I was crying to say, put the fish back. I wouldn't go to circuses. I didn't eat a lot of meat ever. So for me, it's always been about the animals, but I can talk a little bit about that later in terms of the different types of veganism that can exist. And yeah, that'd be great. Yes, absolutely. It's a much broader concept than a lot of people have that idea of what a vegan actually is so I'm, I'm glad I've got this opportunity to talk to you today but that's pretty pretty much where I stand I'm working as an adolescent counsellor an educational advocate but I do work with older people around their vegan issues if they want to come and talk about particularly if they're trying to transition which can create a really turbulent time for them but yes yeah, that's me in a nutshell I actually found you through an article that you wrote called veganism and mental health the cost of caring and you write in your article that according to Google Trends Australia was the most popular country for veganism in both 2017 and 18 and was also the third fastest growing market for vegan products in 2018. It's probably grown even more since then, I imagine. So the uh, the largest growing demographic of vegans is those between 16 and 34, with the most common age group transitioning between 19 and 21 years old. So why are so many people eating a vegan diet these days? And I use diet as in because of eating disorder clients, we're not talking about dieting, just vegan diet. And that's actually a really important thing that I will also address at some point too in this chat. But in a nutshell, in answer to your question, it really has exploded thanks to the internet and social media, creating a much easier way to share information, share opinions and ideas and values. And in turn, what that's done is, as always, the big companies, the big food companies have tapped into this Mm -hmm. and realised there's a real market growing. So they're now throwing a lot more money into vegan products and so you are now seeing much easier access even in the six years of me being vegan a huge shift in what I can just access in my local store so it used to be considered quite unattainable whereas now I can go to the supermarket and I can go straight to the ice cream section and buy a vegan magnum ice cream which even six years ago I wouldn't have thought possible so it really is the the internet it's social media is a huge driver. And then the other one is there's a lot more money being put into documentaries for people to access and they're being put on platforms like Netflix, so really accessible. So uh, documentaries like Forks Over Knives, the most recent ones, The Game Changers, and then other ones that are more based around the ethics around animal 
cruelty which with Caspiracy and Blackfish and the likes of that. So it's really, it's become a lot more accessible through information mm. is why we're seeing this change. And a lot of those shows are highlighting the environment, aren't they, which obviously a lot of people are very interested in at the moment. So Absolutely. There's a real shift with, yeah, exactly, all the climate change conversations that are being had as well. And, and I think it comes down to Australia's really built around an animal agriculture industry in a lot of ways. There's a lot of pride in how we started out in that way. And mm. it's not that the cruelty that's involved in it, it's not in your face like racism or sexism. It's deeply ingrained in our culture mm. and it's also financially ingrained in our culture. So people just are starting to realise, hang on, I don't want to be part of that. I don't want to be part of it anymore and I can put my money somewhere else. And the benefits that come with that, not just in the healthy eating for some vegans, not all vegans, but also the the idea of your conscious is now free from the guilt, mm. which plays a big part in a lot of people. So people are becoming more empowered to seek out the information. That's, it hasn't A lot of people sort of say, oh, it didn't sit quite right with me for a long time, the way some things have been done and, having access I can now access that and go and say hang on and I can become a vegan and it's not a sacrifice anymore I can actually mm. access the food I need it was seen as you were giving something up yeah becoming a vegan where it's now been reframed as what do you gain you gain your health you gain a greater sense of living within your values and all mm. as you said the environmental benefits huge as well. Yeah, it's really interesting because I was actually vegan before I was veggie, so I have a confession to make. I'm a 90%, (laughs) I would say plant-based with a little bit of good quality dairy here and there, but mostly plant-based these days. But because when I became vegan, it was in the 80s and I live in on the northern beaches. I used to have to drive to the inner west and I didn't drive at the time. So I used to have to get my mum to, can we go over to the health food shop to get food for me to eat. It was just so bloody difficult to find things. And what I found yeah. is that I, I lived on pasta and back, I've always found with even the vegetarianism throughout the years, there's been like a dish of the decade. <laughs> and like back then it was, it was pasta Napolitana in the eighties. And then we moved on to vegetable stack in the nineties. And then it was, I was veggie. So it was goat's cheese tart. And then there was always one really popular dish on the menu and that was it. Yeah, yeah. And also I was in my bulimia and eating disorder. It was actually very restrictive and very punishing back then because it was just so bloody difficult to eat like that. And you didn't have really tinned food as and I think you probably did, but I remember boiling lentils and chickpeas and yes, just all so that. Hard. Exactly. It was. And that is the huge difference. There's been this massive conscious rebranding mm. if you like and it is and I hate to say it, it is that consumerism side that is pushing this more yes. so than the ethical side it's tapping in and people that aren't vegan are just going oh that tastes really good I can grab that just in my local Woolworths so it, it is that whole yeah that is definitely and you hear the, the vegans that have been vegan for a long time have accepted that they you'd often hear they're growing their own foods or they're really having to work in a completely different way to the rest of the community whereas now it's much much easier which is fantastic absolutely so you write in in your article with the steady growth within the vegan community prominent australian vegan psychologist claire mann conceived a terrific new concept called vistopia so could you let our audience know how you understand that term 
Yeah, well, this term Vistopia, I cannot take credit for. It's it's all, yes, work who's a, a very active vegan psychologist and she's written a book called Vistopia. And oh, basically okay. the term, and it's, I've got the book handy, but it's basically, it's not a hard read. It's a, a really straightforward read and I do recommend vegan or not. It's a really good read to understand. I think she explains it very explicitly and it's very clear. It's not emotive. It's very just factual. But it is dystopia. When I, As soon as I read it, I said that's the exact word I've been looking for. So when I went vegan, I, I used to very dramatically describe it as seeing it as me going through the gates of hell. So I was mm. in this unknown world I was living with, I was this hybrid that I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what. For a lot of people, they didn't have that. They've just watched a documentary. They've seen something like my partner, he saw an awful pig gassing thing and that was it for him. Some people, it's very quick. Others, it's slow. But that change for me felt like I was suddenly walking into hell where I could see all these things going on, but everyone else was walking around me not noticing it. And I always thought that was a very dramatic way to describe it. People used to say, oh, Amanda, that's not what it's like I'm sure and it's, it is it really does feel like that but dystopia describes it much better and it's basically the rapid culture shock that happens when someone chooses to live as a vegan and suddenly you're confronted with the fact that you're living in line with your values you feel much better about yourself in the way that you're impacting on the planet on others but hang on the rest of the world is still carrying on as normal how come they can't see this everything seems cruel and unkind and people that you love are still participating. So it's this real shift and I've stepped over this line into this world, this dystopian world. So stepping out of that mainstream thinking, mainstream attitudes and belief systems and now all of a sudden here I am, I can be, I'm putting myself out there to face abuse or criticism or ostracization, which is certainly one that does happen. Mm. And it's that incongruency that you have to learn to live with. And so that's in a nutshell what I describe. And so that description of dystopia, mm. if any vegan I talk to can describe that mm. sensation. It's not just certain pockets, it's everybody describes that. Oh, absolutely. And if we're going back to when I first even became vegetarian, I was thinking I was vegetarian for one or two years and then vegan for nine years, that especially back then it was like being on another planet. Absolutely. Especially, and I was traveling for a lot of that time too. It was really, especially in places like Germany and France at the time, it was very challenging. And I know we're going to come back later on and talk around some of the mental health issues to do with what happens when people step into that as well. So given that it is challenging at some level, what type of people typically choose a vegan way of life? Well, this is the part where this is to your earlier question. There's generally three types of vegans. Mm -hmm. So it's also important to distinguish plant-based versus vegan. And that has got awfully mixed up in the world of the media. So you have plant-based, which is where you choose not to eat animal products or animal byproducts, but you um, don't necessarily live by a vegan model. So you might still purchase woolen jumpers, you might still enjoy going to the horse races, that kind of thing. Vegan means that you don't just have a vegan diet, you also have the vegan lifestyle. So in my house, we don't use any products that have been tested on animals. We, we, I've got a vegan daughter who's three, she won't be going to zoos. We don't buy dogs from breeders, that kind of thing. We don't wear leather, we don't, all that kind of stuff. But when you make the choice to be vegan, aside from that 
lifestyle stuff, the, the predominant reason, the biggest cohort do it for animal rights and welfare. But you do also have pockets of people that will become vegan for health. And I actually have a, a good friend that has been able to control her MS. She was diagnosed with MS quite young and has actually been able to manage it much, much better as a vegan. Mm -hmm. So she's actually made that decision for herself, not in line with anyone else, not in line with a professional. It was her choice to try that and got amazing results. So people may do it for health. And the other one is environment. Not as many in that category, but you certainly get people that recognise the impact of animal agriculture on the planet, the deforestation required for it and the impact of all the gases that are emitted into the atmosphere, all that kind of stuff, they will also play a role in, and they're often, the environmental ones are often zero waste as well. So yeah. they usually have an environmental focus and then they add the vegan diet component to it. So they're the main reasons, but basically people... And this is obviously, I, I want to say, this is a generalisation. So there will be exceptions to the rule, but typically choosing a vegan way of life, they're people that who can sense suffering. Yep. They're very aware of their surroundings and their impact on others. From a, They're quite sensitive people. Uh, often empaths will actually test as an empath. Mm -hmm. um, and they usually have an affinity with animals. Not always. It can be the opposite. It can be they've grown up on a dairy farm, for example, and witnessed the mother cows literally bellowing for their male babies as they're taken away. And then that's later in life, they've realised that was actually a childhood trauma for them. And the way to part of that resolving that is to become vegan. And the one thing that I have been highly fascinated with, and I know Myers, those that are listening that are in the um, psychology profession will know um, the Myers-Briggs type indicator, mm -hmm. the 16 personalities, has got a bit of a bad rap. It comes and goes whether or not it's in vogue or not. But I do find it interesting that I've seen numerous large surveys conducted on vegan groups on the t personality type mm -hmm. and a huge, without fail every time INFJ wins which is the advocate okay. personality type. So introverted, intuitive, feeling and judging. So mm. these are people that are creative, prepared to think outside the box. They're compassionate, insightful, critical thinkers. They usually have strong principles and deep belief systems, passionate. They're prepared to question things. That's a big one mm. and disrupt the status quo. And they're usually very altruistic in that they recognize their strengths and they want to use it for good. There's this sort of sense of good versus evil. And I found that really interesting. And there's obviously other ones that pop up there. And I know that there's some poo-poo, the Myers-Briggs, but I did find that fascinating, to be honest. And I actually test as one as well. And interestingly, women, this is the other point, is women are resoundingly more likely to be vegan. And that's the same in uh, rescue work or working with animals. It tends to be like the voluntary work. It's predominantly women. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I've been thinking long and hard about that as and watching my own partner and the struggles he's had. He went vegan shortly after me and he had a lot more social issues than I've had based around his friends just not accepting it. Oh, wow. And these are friends he's had since he was in kinder. So, uh, that, you know, that was enough for them to go, hang on. I'm not sure that we can be mates if you're not going to eat meat. Oh, um, wow. Gosh. Yeah, really quite bizarre stuff going on. And I think it is linked to that masculinity 
concept we have here in Australia, you know. And I was also, just going to say that that's very, younger, what was I going to call it? It probably wasn't going to be very nice, very Australian. That's <laughs> all I'll say about that. But I remember when MasterChef first started and they have the guest chefs and people like Matt Moran and whoever else would make fun of the vegetarian or vegan person on the show. And of course they had to cook meat and they had to do whatever the whole way through. And Gordon Ramsay, they used to, he used to take the piss out of people who eat vegan. The other one, Pete Evans with paleo. And all of a sudden I noticed that he's got a, a veggie book out, but unfortunately he uses animal fats and stuff throughout it, which was very annoying. Yes, he does he, love his animal fats. But he's, he's really jumped on the bandwagon as well. But it was seen as very, not Australian, and you've got all these famous sort of male chefs and things taking the mickey out of people if they were what would you serve I think Matt Moran or Gordon Ramsay what would you serve a vegan if they came to dinner roast lamb it's like really yeah and that really is it reflects that seriously entrenched view so it's the same with for quite a while going to barbecues Mm -hmm. I had people say you can't cook your mushrooms on my plate that's going to wreck the taste of my meat (laughs) as if I was diseased (laughs) yes and it's like this sacred space that the male domain of the Aussie barbecue Mm -hmm. must have the dead animals on it and how dare you want to roast a vegetable on it and if you actually stop and ask them about that they actually can't tell you why they're like that it's just mm. it's built into the values it's built into it's where the melbourne cups a fantastic example too that's another one that feeds in a lot with veganism is you watch the, a couple of nights before the cup i was watching and no one judged me here i was watching the sas australia because i'm just fascinated <laughs> by that kind of stuff uh, <laughs> and every ad at one point was an ad for gambling. It was Ned's, it was sports bet, it was whoever it was, completely aimed at that male Mm. demographic to participate in that event. And you you have to to be a top bloke. And the ads are very Aussie, very blokey. Come on, let's get together, mates, and do that. So if a male wants to be able to shift the way they eat, they have, and this is again general, but they do have that extra layer of, well, what's wrong with you? Why are you doing that? Why are you dropping your manlyhood for this? Makes no sense. And also women, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about the difference later, I think, but we're so used to being on a, the number of diets I'd been on over the years. So it's a lot easier to talk about food and meal plans and all that kind of stuff with women also. Absolutely. It's just not discussed. It's you have a beer and a sausage. Yeah. Look at Bunnings. Oh, They've yeah. made an institution <laughs> out of the sausage sizzle. Yeah. And we had a, a, a cat rescue down here in Melbourne that actually ran a vegan sausage sizzle at a Bunnings and it went bonkers. People mm. were just losing their minds about it. I saw that on the news. <laughs> yes, it made the news because, goodness gracious me, and it is it is that real, it's connecting, it's, that's a great example of connecting that Aussiness to it which is why it's so fascinating that we're the third largest growing vegan community even with those values that are naturally built into us in our family structures it's quite Mm -hmm. amazing that we've achieved that I think oh me too and I just want to come back because you talked about people who were empath and sensitive and I guess a lot of people here when they hear sensitive they've actually been attacked for that 
many a time. I certainly know in my history, I often get told, oh, you're too sensitive. And what would you say? I I guess I don't want our listeners to think, oh, you're too sensitive because that's not what we're saying. It's okay to be empathic. It's okay to be sensitive. It's okay to think like this. What would you say to people who are told they're too sensitive for worrying about animals or just in life in general? Yes. Yes. That whole, that horrible word snowflake. Oh, I don't know that. Have you not heard that word? Oh, that's everywhere. People love to use that if you dare show compassion for something. You're a snowflake. You're a a lefty snowflake. Um, (laughs) That's often what you'll get. And that's uh, just a standard deflection. Yeah. Uh, So some of your listeners may have uh, heard that. If they're considered sensitive, then you're just this weak little snowflake that's going to melt into the snow and disappear, that kind of thing. Well, in response to that, I am, yeah, highly sensitive, considered empath, which actually led to quite a bit of childhood trauma because I was so aware Mm. of things around me that we worked out later in life that this contributed a lot to my sense of helplessness that I wasn't able to I could see things going on and I as a child I couldn't do anything about it and even as an adult I'm regularly frustrated because I'm just very aware and connected Mm -hmm. that I do feel when people are going through a struggle or animals are going through a struggle I literally can feel it so one and the way I dealt with that was I hid behind a wall of aggression for a very long time. That's how I dealt with it. I would stand up and fight against someone that would dare say something against. So I I used to get kicked out of class at school if someone (laughs) did suggest that it was okay to go to a circus or something. I would really fight against it because I didn't want people to see how much it upset me. And so learning to be able to communicate that sensitivity in an assertive way rather than an aggressive way has become immensely powerful for me. So this my sensitivity, in my opinion, has become my strength and it's what allows me to voice for others that don't have a voice. One of my supervisors said to me, you could not be the therapist that you are without having that sensitivity and empathy and because I, I like you, have, have gone to anger and rebelliousness and if we look at any kind of Greenpeace, Peter, Justice Fighter, there's a lot of anger in there as well, isn't there? And but but covering, oh, yes. covering up the vulnerability, vulnerability and sensitivity go together a lot. And mm. exploring that vulnerability, and again being able to accept that it's okay to be vulnerable, and learning to accept that some people are always going to know how to attack that, and it's mm. not a reflection on you at all. It's a reflection on them. It's what they're going through. It's not you that's got the issue with being sensitive. It's that they have the issue. They're seeing something in you that perhaps they wish they had Mm. or they might feel, hang on, you're aware. Some people can just sense that you're reading them Mm. and they're aware and they they will attack. Mm. Uh, That can happen. And you're right. Sensitivity is a wonderful powerful thing to have in therapy because you can use it to see the nuances in people i think awareness is the key of veganism so Mm. i always say veganism isn't about self it's about others and once you can see it's not about self anymore that awareness is what helps you grow as a vegan and that's Mm. when you go i'm not going back now because i'm aware of what this means i'm aware of my impact and that but that sensitivity you definitely have to learn to protect and there's a fantastic psychiatrist judith orloff who has a bunch of books 
and she's an American and she does a whole lot of work. You can get her books on places like Book Depository. She's very well known about empath and the idea of, so empath is even more so than highly sensitive. They are classified as different, but it would work the same. The strategies she uses are the same if you're highly sensitive about learning to protect yourself because it's so important that you can see it as not a weakness. It's actually a, a very good strength to have, but how to harness that so you don't burn out is okay. critical. Yeah, absolutely. And I also wanted to add to that too that I have found, and I'm not talking about uh, people who are classified as highly sensitive people, but actually suffering a trauma history makes people more sensitive too. And I know for me, being criticised and poked at and whatever else actually made me very sensitive. But I also had a trauma where I was in hospital at three. I got my foot got caught in an escalator oh yeah and so for me I couldn't eat blood anymore it was like a trauma response wow as I started going out to dinner and ordering meat in restaurants if it didn't come like when you I don't know when you when you don't really like eating meat and you you burn it until it's like unrecognizable unrecognizable yeah that was me and then in the end my mother had said you you've got to stop ordering that that's it's embarrassing so I keep sending it back like until there was like no no blood left oh yeah Yeah, people choose this path I think for lots of different reasons and trauma can be uh, another one of those absolutely so I know there's going to be eating disorder therapists listening to this as well, and I'll completely fess up to this. In my teenage years when I was in my bulimia, if you eat fat, you get fat. So that was back in the 80s when fat was bad. And therefore, there was the ethical side for me. I lived with a guy in New Zealand when I moved to New Zealand who had grown up on a farm and didn't want to eat animals, and he was vegan. And so that's, I thought, oh, okay, I'd never heard of that before. And so I started eating vegan because of him. But I was also in my eating disorder and if eat fat, get fat, and therefore you don't eat anything saturated, any saturated fat. So in my 20 years as a dieting, weight and disordered eating therapist, a high proportion of my clients have been vegetarian or vegan. So I would say out of my eating disorder clients, over like over 90% have been vegetarian or vegan. So apart from being an empath, highly sensitive for ethical and environmental reasons. What do you see as some of the not so healthy reasons why this population might become vegan? And I've just given one away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the saturated fat. And there is a rising concern too that because veganism is becoming more mainstream and more accepted, it is becoming easier for people to cut out some of these big food groups and no one thinks twice about it. So you could easily mask an eating disorder much more so with the vegan idea than you could maybe 10 years ago Yeah, because people are much more aware of it. So you could be using that as I'm doing this because of veganism. One of the big issues in my opinion is around the nutrition side yep. so it's it doesn't come down just to the the basics of well I'm not eating meat so I'm not the basics are I'm not getting enough iron for example it's beyond that you've got to deal with well how am I going to get my b12 how do I get my omega-3s how do I get my omega-6s and it might swing both ways it might be your eating disorder it doesn't focus on that at all And so you're just focusing on cutting out huge amounts of food and going, oh, well, vegan's meant to be really healthy. Great. I'm going to, this will keep me going versus the others that maybe become obsessive 
with the nutritional values as well, which can become a problem with some sectors as well. So understanding that, and that was a, a big part for me raising a vegan child, which let me say came with a lot of criticism from a lot of sectors. But I must say that I did have to do an awful lot of research to make sure I was doing it right because I wanted to get it right. And actually, and that's a big part of it, if the choice to go vegan is based around an eating disorder, that's not coming into play most of the time. So you're going to get really unwell really quick. So you'll hear, there's two sides, you'll hear certain therapists and eating disorder clinicians that will say, absolutely no way, I would not allow my client to be Mm. vegan while they're recovering. And then you'll have the other end that will say, it's the only reason I recovered. And it really comes down to the nuts and bolts of what's leading to that. What is actually driving specifically with the eating disorder that need to be vegan? So as you said, is there a trauma in the background that's it's actually driven by an ethical wish or is it a health wish? Because that makes a big difference how you would treat it. And for me, that's a big part of it. And also, especially with younger people, there's this huge thing around celebrities and Instagram influencers Mm. going vegan and suddenly losing lots of weight. You've got Beyonce and Jay-Z claiming they were vegan, which was a load of crap, but they were claiming they were vegan. They lasted 22 days. (laughs) Well, one of my other interviews I did with Fiona Sutherland, she was saying that she doesn't eat carbs. So as we know, with a lot of these celebrities, whatever is the latest thing, they're sort of on it, aren't they? Vegan does not mean this whole food plant-based diet necessarily. And that's another component with disordered eating is you now have all these Instagrammers and all these people supposedly looking super happy and healthy. It does become, well, if it worked for them, it's going to work for me. And if that keeps coming up in my face every time I turn on my social media then that must be right that must be what i need to do it sort of leads into we're talking about eating disorders proper into orthorexia a lot of the clean eating and all that kind of stuff and i guess that's what we're talking about it's about teasing out what if someone is if you are seeing a client with an eating disorder or if you have an eating disorder it's teasing out how to have a balanced wholesome well-being approach to your food versus Mm -hmm. using it as a tool for restriction Absolutely. And I can say safely that although the Australian resources supporting a vegan diet are pretty limited, and there's good reason for that based on a lot of the industry that we have here and the power that they hold, Mm. but you can go, for example, to the American Dietetic Association site. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of stuff on there with a full statement saying that it is perfectly okay and healthy to live in all stages of life with an balanced, and that's the key word again, balanced vegan diet. So I'd love to come back to some of the mental health issues now, because you say that for some, the transition to veganism goes without too much impact to their mental health. However, most will experience a significant shift in their psychological well-being, and they struggle with the adjustment to this new world and the burden it brings. So what kind of psychological symptoms do you see? Again, this is linked more, you see more ethical vegans. So they're doing this uh, for animal reasons. I need to say that because it can be a very different situation if you're going doing it for health reasons. But the big ones that are very common and probably the top one is guilt. 
So a sense of, oh my goodness, what have I been doing and all those animals that I've needlessly harmed, indirectly, guilt around seeing it happening and not knowing what to do, now being aware but not having the means to help the way you want to help. Anxiety and depression can kick in from that as well. Stress around, we are bombarded with imagery to do. I can get triggered by, when you talk about chefs before, it made me think of, what's his name, who does the Coles ads? Oh, Curtis Stone. Uh, Curtis Stone. And he brings out a giant Mm. roast chicken. That will set me off. I can't look at that kind of stuff. And I can't get away from that if I'm just trying to watch television. I'm, I'm going, a bus drives past me with a barbecue thing going that kind of stuff walking as the smell of a butcher mm. that kind of thing can trigger off micro trauma so that kind of stuff is always there you're living in it so that can really lead to some ongoing stress and anxiety and depression that can hang around sleep and behavioral disturbances obviously are linked in with those yeah and we talked earlier about anger so anger yeah. is usually the top, as we say, of the iceberg. There, there is uh, other things going on. There's, that can be manifesting grief, a sense of helplessness, frustration is a big one, or becoming isolated. So especially if you have made the decision to move to a vegan lifestyle and you don't know anyone else in that situation, you can feel really disconnected. You can withdraw, become agoraphobic. You can develop social issues and social phobia and things like that because, oh, I've got to go to this party and I know none of, I'm not going to be able to eat any of the food and people are going to ask me why am I eating? And mm. so you get into all of that and then you start, again, that feeds anxiety. What if this happens? What if that? You start feeling this need to protect yourself. And sometimes it's easier just to stay home Mm -hmm. so to avoid all of that. So it does become around that. A lot of it does become, well, how do you then live in a world where that's not going to change? Mm -hmm. We can't change that unless we can surround ourselves with other like-minded people, but we have to learn to live within that. So Mm -hmm. that is, they're the key ones that you will see. Yeah. So although it's quite an ethical path, it's also a very challenging path. So how does someone begin to heal from this major transition and life change? What do they do for support, I guess? Yeah, the easiest couple that you can really do, is the big one that I suggest is social connection. And we found that from COVID. Social connection helps reduce stress. Finding like-minded people, there are literally groups all over the place on Facebook. You've got local groups. So I'm in local vegan groups. I've got uh-huh. two in my area and my area is not even known to be vegan. Oh, wow. So there's two in that area. There's sort of state level groups, national groups and international, and quite a lot of international groups because other countries in some places are doing some amazing things and have, so pulling resources together and you can learn a lot from each other. And one thing I can say safely say is the vegan community is incredibly warm Mm. the other one that's a really great one is volunteer work which now covid's moving we can hopefully start opening that up again is Mm -hmm. get in there and offer to help in a local rescue or a local sanctuary or a local dog shelter whatever it might be that can offset some of that in that feeling of guilt because you have to stop and sometimes say to yourself being vegan is enough If that's where it's coming from, being vegan, every single time you breathe, you are doing something good because you are an advocate for it 
and you are eating in a way that's compassionate, you are living in a way that's compassionate, that can be enough. But for some of us, if the trauma or the guilt is too strong, that actual actual turning into action can really mm-hmm. help offset that. And therapy is the other one, obviously. And the types of therapy, it's around accepting the guilt is a big one. And a lot of people, if they've been aware of it for a long time, but haven't been able to make the change for whatever reason, especially with young people that are living at home and don't have much of a say Mm. in what's been cooked, working through the trauma. And another one I would say is learning to work on your communication skills and your advocacy skills. One of the things that I found over the years was I bought normal cookbooks and then I created my own version of the dishes. I found a real way to be with people was just to invite them for a dinner party and cook a really amazing dinner. And I was like, one of my friends actually said once, I saw that you were having a dinner party on Facebook and I thought, oh God, I wish I was invited because your food is so good. (laughs) And and I think, look, historically, and I remember when I was first vegan, I was very passionate. I was very angry and I was a bit of a Bible basher with it. So we can be a little bit like that too, but that's not all of who we are and not everyone does that. So I apologize now for back back when (laughs) and you do it is that frustration and anger that comes out and you'll see that a lot on social media there's Mm. people that have might might have only been vegan six months and they're still dealing with that whole all that emotion that's come with it and it does and that's the stuff when people get that whole don't push your beliefs on me those kind of lines come from that and I can see where that comes from if you really understand veganism, humans are animals as well. We need to be kind and considerate to humans in the same way we are to animals. It's not just about the animals, which can get lost in the message as well. So I just wanted to make sure that was another thing that was clear with veganism too, is, is it's, it's about making a better place for everyone, not just the animals. And I guess I want to add to that too, for anyone with an eating disorder listening, one of the things that I say to people is, oh, it's really interesting that you have a do no harm perspective towards animals. And I wonder what it would be like to apply that to yourself, because obviously yes. people with eating disorders are doing harm to themselves. So I find that it's a really good way to cultivate that compassion for themselves as well. Oh, you're compassionate for animals, but what about being compassionate towards yourself absolutely so our time has come to an end but i just feel like (laughs) people who are vegan um thinking about going vegan even plant-based people who don't want to eat as much meat so maybe they're more flexitarian i think they're going to get so much out of everything you've talked about today because this is especially in psychology it's a bit of a taboo subject so i just think people are just going to love it and get so much out of it so would you share with people how they can find you and also i just want to come back is your pinterest page open to the public that's a great question i have i do have a couple of friends that have uh looked at it so it must be what i, I can do. check that when i get off here i can yeah. have a look if you send me the link to that i can put it in the show notes for people and i also have some mine's not vegan it's vegetarian and vegan so i also have some boards as well for people to follow if you'd like to get some inspiration there so where can people find you to come for therapy well i work with 12 point psychology which is in outer east 
Melbourne. Mm-hmm. So it's 12pointpsychology.com. We're actually, we also are heavily animal assisted therapy based as well. Oh, wow. Um, are you? Okay. We have therapy dogs. We have a therapy lizard named Ziggy for <laughs> people that don't, don't really, aren't really into dogs. And we do have a therapy cat in training as we oh. speak. So they're all appropriately qualified. They're not, and we even, we do have Maggie, the reception the reception dog, who's she's trained, but she's just the biggest ball of fluff that loves to come and say hi to you when you arrive. So it's definitely an animal-friendly place. My guys <laughs> have beagles. Mine are not suitable uh, mm. for such endeavours as they get a bit sidetracked and are more likely to be trying to eat something out of your handbag. <laughs> but, yes, there's plenty of animals around. And we're very active on Facebook. So mm. there's regular posts on Facebook. You can find us. And I actually, being in Melbourne, we've been off face-to-face, but I'm actually the first clinician back face-to-face because I do work with a lot of children that do need disengaged kids that need to be able to do face-to-face not online but I am a trained online therapist I've actually done my training so I can work online with anyone around Australia as well oh that's such a wonderful resource for people so I just want to say your Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash 12 point psychology for anyone who wants to follow there so thank you so much for coming and I will put everything in the show notes Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute joy. Unfortunately, there were some sound issues in the last 10 minutes of this recording with Amanda. So I'm just going to round up the end of the conversation between us to share with you here. So this part is for therapists. and Amanda and I discussed how you can support your clients who are eating vegan or plant-based. And remember that most people who choose to go vegan are highly sensitive. They might have been harmed by others in their early life and they wish to do no harm to animals. So support the client in doing no harm to themselves. People who go vegan at this time in history may be doing so to reduce their impact on the environment. So your job is to support them in that. Accept that the client identifies as vegan or is eating a plant-based diet and support them in ways to make their diet inclusive of all food groups and macronutrients. So that's carbohydrates, proteins and fats. And then, of course, fruits, veggies and fun foods. But always refer to a vegan dietitian. That's the best way around that because they obviously have a lot more knowledge than therapists do. Tease out with the client what is restrictive eating versus what is balanced eating. So is the plant-based diet or vegan lifestyle a mask for the eating disorder? And always hold the context that people who suffer with disordered eating can eat a vegan diet and fully recover. Comments such as you won't recover if you don't eat meat or drink dairy or eat eggs are not helpful. They're harmful and this will hurt your therapeutic alliance. The client has likely been in a battle with their family about their veganism and they don't need to battle with you also. So seek to understand the vegan way of life. If you can't understand, empathize and support the client's veganism, Amanda says that you may then need to refer the client on. So this last bit is for clients. Go to a vegan practitioner's page, veganaustralia.org.au, and that's going to be a great resource for therapists as well. And there will be one of those in whatever country you're living in or any other vegan directory. And I guess our main conversation for this bit was around if you do get caught out without food, planning is key, obviously, but if you get caught out and you can't find anything and you have to eat something vegetarian rather than vegan, it's okay. It's just one meal. You don't have to go into guilt. Amanda recommended that you can call ahead to a lot of places and she also said to carry a lot of snacks, you know, with you in your bag. I use the Carmen's uh, protein bars. Carry those with me just in case we end up somewhere where there's nothing to eat. 
Overall, though, your recovery is more important than veganism. Do no harm. So we're living in a non-vegan world and be kind to yourself. So they were Amanda's final words. We're living in a non-vegan world. Be kind to yourself and do no harm. Okay, this is episode 32. For the show notes, go to thesoulcenter.online forward slash soul sessions 32, veganism and mental health. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Soul Sessions podcast. Love this episode? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. To learn more about how you can befriend your body, feelings, mind, and soul, get Jody's free 65-page ebook at thesoulcenter.online. Until next time.